God is good all the time, and all the time God is good, even now. Uh, this has been a momentous week for many people, and as the sharing, uh, you heard the different things this morning that have happened, and one thing that wasn't mentioned that my mind, I spent a lot of time thinking about yesterday, uh, some of you in the congregation participated in the annual Memorial Motorcycle Ride yesterday uh, in honor of my brother Paul, who was killed in a traffic accident 25 years ago. Well, it'll be 25 this fall. And Kenton's father, Gerald Good. And I'm not sure how many yesterday, up in the 20s, I guess, I don't know, uh, spent that day together. And just a reminder, again, for me, how... The Bible often talked in the Old Testament about setting up stones to remember, and uh, that motorcycle ride is a way to do that. And I thought of my brother who was very close to me. We served in leadership in this congregation together for a while, and uh, Gerald was a special cousin. As single guys, we went camping a lot, talked about women and things, and uh, both got married and then talked about what it was going to be like to have families and get old together and what we we're going to be like, old men. And um, yeah, it didn't happen. Um, but we are going to spend time together eventually. Um, and then Lyndon's accident brought so many memories back to 2004 uh, when I shattered both heels. And, and I, 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 I know somewhat what he's feeling this morning. Father's Day with his family. For me personally, the last couple months have been very strenuous. A lot of things um, I've been facing, and I've told someone I felt like the disciples that day when evening when Jesus told them to get in the boat and cross the Sea of Galilee, and he went into the mountain to pray, and he said, I will meet you. And they didn't have a motorboat. That boat going across took work. They had to row. They had to dirk the sails, whatever they were working with. And they were busy. And then out of nowhere, completely unexpected, a storm came up. You remember the story? That's kind of what happened with Gert and me. We were busy. A lot of stress, putting fires out, dealing with things. And then out of nowhere this storm of cancer came. And three weeks ago when that happened and in sharing this with our family, and um, I, I, I feel like my brother Simon Peter. I feel, I look to God, and I feel like he said, step out of the boat. And we have stepped out of the boat. And we're going to walk toward him uh, through this experience, whatever it is. And I know we won't do it perfectly, but I know you all are with us through that. And there will probably be some times when things won't go as expected and um, we might start sinking. But I know just like he did with Peter, he will reach out and he will lift us up. God is good all the time. And all the time God is good, even now, this is Father's Day. Open your Bible this morning to Matthew 6. We're going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer. 
I know you're thinking now, wow, Dave really goes off some places, doesn't he? Like last Sunday and some other times. But this morning I titled the message, What's a Father to Do? Now for you fathers in, in the congregation this morning, there probably are some days when you ask that question, well, what's a father to do? We're going to be talking this morning about the responsibilities of fatherhood. You know, there's a, there's a certain amount of confusion in our culture today over that question. And, and there's a challenging adjustment that comes from becoming a father. Uh, some of you, us, are fathers. Some of you are anticipating fatherhood. Some of you young guys are thinking, yeah, that's maybe in my future. I would like for that to happen. But most of the difficulty in that adjustment, I would say, is simply not knowing what to do. What's it mean to be a father? And one of the consequences of this confusion is, is spiritual in nature. You know, we know when Jesus is, when there's record in Scripture of Jesus praying, when we have record of his words, he always addressed God as Father. And we would say, well, of course he did. He was God's Son. I mean, what else would you expect him to address, use to address his Father? But not only did Jesus address God as Father, he taught us to address God as Father. And in Matthew 6, Jesus said, when you pray, pray this way, our Father, which is in heaven. But you know, there are many people today who have a hard time thinking of God as a Father, much less calling Him by that title. For them, the title Father is hardly a term of endearment. It conjures up images of Rejection, anger, absence, and it's sometimes even abuse, physically or emotionally. And the spiritual fallout of confused fathers is a, a generation of people who are ambivalent about the fatherhood of God. So this morning, I invite you to join me again, once again, very familiar passage of Scripture, Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13. For in this prayer, we find a model of fatherhood. In this prayer, we are told what a father is to do. In this prayer, we find what is reasonable for children to expect from his or her or their father. And in this prayer, I hope we learn to judge fatherhood not from the experience that we may have had with our Father, but rather judge fatherhood by our Heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Father shows us how to be an earthly father, making it so much easier for our children to think of God as their Father and to call Him Father. I want to read this passage, Matthew 6, 9 through 13. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father, which is in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. There are four different words that I want to share this morning, and I first encountered these readings, some writings of Mark Mitchell. They're alliteration. They all start with P. might be easy for you to remember. Uh, three of them speak specifically to what's the Father to do. But the first one teaches us how to be fathers by telling us how to treat our Father in heaven. Verse 9, we find these words, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Um, all of us know that. When I was a young person growing up, most anybody even on the street or in public school could have said that line. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Most people could recite the Lord's Prayer, but certainly that first line. And yet I heard recently one of my sons was telling me that on Jeopardy, TV program some of you might be aware of, quiz program, fairly intelligent people, the question, one of the questions was, Our Father which art in heaven, blank be thy name. And no one knew the answer. Isn't that astounding? No one knew the answer. No one knew hallowed was the word that goes in that place. Well, verse 9 records those words, and they're very familiar to us. And fathers today, I'm not suggesting that your children will hallow your name. I'm not suggesting that. Instead, I think this verse reflects to all of us the importance of basic priorities that a father has. For the name of God to be hallowed in a father's life. When we say, hallowed be thy name, we are asking and desiring that God be set aside, apart as holy in our lives. It means that we don't try to reduce him to fit into our life and into our schedule. But rather we acknowledge that there's no one like him. It means that he is above all. He is alone is glorious. He alone is righteous. He alone is holy and all-powerful and complete, pure and just. And when God's name is hallowed in a father's life, everyone, especially his children, know that God is the most important thing to him. And as fathers this morning... What would our children say if we were to ask them is the most important thing in their father's life? Is the name of God the most hallowed thing in your life as a father? Now, someone has said that when it comes to truth, more is caught than taught. Any father can say that God is the most important thing in his life, but his other people, his family, especially his children, will see beneath the surface of words. They will catch what is really important to their father, but what he talks about, 
by the choices he makes, by the priorities, what he does with his time, with his money, what he talks about the most, what they see gives their father the most joy, excites him the most by hearing what he says behind the public scene. Remember, I've often said in my messages, what you and I believe is not what we think we believe. What you and I believe is not what we say we believe. What you and I believe is revealed in the life that we live. This is why Jesus says next in his prayer, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When Jesus speaks of God's kingdom, he's speaking about God's rule, God's reign, God's will. In other words, when God is hallowed in a father's life, then that father allows God to be king. That father allows God's priorities to become his priorities. God is hallowed in a father's life when doing God's will takes precedence over his will and what everybody else is doing. For example, in Romans 12, Paul says in verse 17, do not overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Paul's saying in that passage, listen, don't take things into your own hands when you have been wronged. And yet how few of us men can do that. So the first word this morning I find in this passage is priority. What's a father to do? A father's to make God priority. Well, the second word, and now these next three, really speak of things that a father actually does. The second word is provision. And it's hinted at in the next verse, in verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. In other words, it is right for us to expect our Heavenly Father to provide for us. I mean, that's, the, that's part of what it means to be a father, to provide and later in that, this chapter, chapter 6, Jesus says, Now, don't worry about what you will eat, about what you'll drink, about what you'll wear. Um, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, nor do they reap. They don't put in barns for storage. Yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. Your heavenly Father provides for them. And you are of much more value than the birds. You see... This kind of provision is what an earthly father is called to do for his family. In fact, I would say this morning that an earthly father is the primary means, most times, it's the primary means by which our heavenly father provides for the family. You see... You children, food doesn't just grow in a refrigerator. <laughs> it doesn't just suddenly appear in the cupboard. Uh, the electricity for the lights, uh, it doesn't just happen. Those things are there, as well as the clothes that you wear and, and many other things, are there because, in all likelihood, your father works. 
And Paul was rather straightforward about a father's responsibility to provide. He says in 1 Timothy 5.8, he writes, If any man does not provide for his own household, he is denied the faith. He is worse than an unbeliever. So, children, if you want to encourage your father today, tell him you appreciate his work to provide for your family. That's much better than what most fathers often hear. Most fathers often hear, you know, if only you made the money that so-and-so's father makes, then we could have a new house and an ingrown swimming pool and take that luxury vacation and etc. Far too often fathers are left feeling like we don't provide enough. One quick note of warning to fathers though is the mandate for us to provide for our families is not a license for us to bury ourselves in our work. There's a tension between priority and provision. And we must always respond to that tension. You see, the call to provide can become an obsession with us as fathers. So huge that other responsibilities are neglected. It's important to note, Jesus says in this passage, give us today our daily bread. He didn't say primary steak. He asked for daily bread. And, and there's a tendency for fathers to compare ourselves with other fathers by how much they are able to provide for their families. And this is precisely the temptation that Jesus spoke of later in the chapter when he says, don't worry about what you or your family or your children will eat, drink, or wear. So as fathers, we have to balance the responsibility to provide with the responsibility to keep God first priority in our lives, in our families' lives. There have been fathers who have turned down offers of promotion and higher paying jobs because those positions would have left little time for the other responsibilities that God has for them as a father. Priority, provision. The third word concerning fatherhood is pardon. Notice verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. As an expression of God's love and grace and mercy. Our Heavenly Father is a pardoning Father. He's a forgiving Father. God understands that a Father can provide all the bread that His family could ever want. But if He didn't provide forgiveness, His children will be emotionally and spiritually malnourished. Now, of course, the pardoning that God offers to us as our Heavenly Father, that came at great cost. It cost him his only son. And being a father brings much blessing. 
It brings a lot of joy. It brings a lot of laughter and fun. But it also is costly to be a father. Those of you that are fathers know that. Those of you that aren't fathers need to understand that. You see, the greatest cost of being a father is not financial. I've often remarked sometimes, if I had not gotten married and not raised six kids, I wonder where I'd be financially today. I'm sure it'd look a lot different. You know, I used to tease my banker by going to get a loan and, and I list my calves, my cattle, he counted them as assets on the plus side on the balance sheet. But when I listed my kids, my dependents, he counted them as liabilities. I said, wait a minute. They're worth much more than my calves. But he didn't see it that way. Fathers must make an emotional investment in their children. Children need affirmation. Children need encouragement. Children need expressions of love as well as instruction. But above all, Children need pardon. Children need forgiveness. I mean, after all, our children are sinners just like we are. And as fathers, all of us have dreams. We have hopes for our children. But sometimes their sin keeps them from realizing our dreams. So what do we do as fathers when that happens? What do you do when your child goofs off in school, squanders opportunities for a good education or job advancement? What do you do when your child's carelessness results in a big financial loss? What do you do when your child's arrested? What do you do when your child becomes pregnant out of wedlock? What do you do when your child brings shame and reproach on you and your family by their failure? Well, I think we as fathers would, would say we forgive them. But do we still hold on to that offense? Do we still withhold our love to some extent from that child? I just remind us as fathers this morning, we know how God forgives and how God still loves us when we're angry, when we're bitter, when we're selfish. Do we realize this morning how much we still regularly need forgiveness from God and from our own children? And if so, may I encourage us as fathers this morning to let that forgiveness overflow in our family. Create a culture of pardon in your home with your children. So priority God has to be first. Provision, we are called to provide. Pardon, we're called to forgive. Well, the last word this morning is protection. 
a father protects, right? That's one made the first things we think about. Notice verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus says we're to pray to our heavenly Father, asking him to lead us not into temptation, but to deliver us from evil. What do those words mean to you? After all, we know we still experience temptation, right? And every day we are touched by evil. You see, this part of the prayer is not asking God to not allow us to ever be tempted. But it's a plea that we not be tempted beyond our capability to overcome. We're saying, God, I recognize that I'm weak. Keep me from the temptation that would overpower me and cause me to sin. Don't leave me alone. Don't forsake me in the hour of temptation. And that's a prayer that God will answer. For us as fathers, for each of us as followers of him. You know, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, God promises, there is no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear, but will with every temptation provide what? A way of escape that ye may be able to endure it. Now, fathers, in the same way, we need to provide that protection for our children. You see, protection is much more than merely physical protection. Our children need moral and spiritual protection. And it's a little tricky because our children don't stay children, right? They grow up, they become adolescents and then teenagers and then young adults and then adults. You see, our children need to be aware of the dangers and evils that they are facing. We need to be aware as fathers, because no matter what generation you grow up in, what your children are facing is not exactly the same as what you faced at their age. And we must not have our head in the sand nor in the clouds when it comes to what our children are facing. Our children need us to be aware of the dangers and evils they're facing because they're not always going to recognize the evil. They're not always going to recognize the danger of what they're facing. But we, one of the things we have that our children don't have, they have better eyesight than we do. They have better reflexes than we do. They can hear better than we can hear. But what they greatly lack is what? Experience. And experience is one of the best teachers. We have that. And part of our protection as fathers is to share that with them, to use that to appropriately guide them in their station in life. Now, when they're real little, we just, we match, may even manhandle them. You will not play in the street, right? But as they get older, we have guidelines, we have restrictions, we have admonitions. And then as they reach teenage and young adult years, it becomes more, as they leave us and our direct parental control, it's more advice and instruction and encouragement. 
You see, fathers, your daughter may not realize the danger of dressing provocatively. But you do. You've been around long enough to know. You need to help protect her. Your son may not see the danger of, of having close relationships with unsavory fellows in the community. But you do. You know that. You've been around long enough to know. Your children may not see the danger of dating someone who is not committed to serving God. But you do. You've been around long enough to know. You need to offer that protection. You see, as fathers, we must be willing to be unpopular at times in our home. There have been times, and I, I told Gert I could have had a whole lot of examples to share this morning, and I know I have two of my children in the audience, so I didn't ask anybody, so I'm going to refrain from that. My children are normal, and I'm a normal dad. We've had our ups and downs. But there have been times when I've said to my children in a time of strained relationship, listen, some days you and I are friends, but every day I am your father. We need to remember that. We need to be not only able, but willing to say no. I am not going to allow you to do that. I'm going to protect you. And when our children reach adulthood and we are making their own decisions, we still have a responsibility to maintain that light of protection. No, they then make their own decisions. They bear their own responsibilities. But we still have a responsibility to maintain that light of protection, to consistently maintain the principles of God's word that shaped acceptable behavior and relationships when they were younger in our home, under our direct supervision. Reflecting on those years when they're young, especially adolescent and teenage years, as James Dobson, who I'm sure you would recognize that name, once said, I heard him say, when your adolescent, your teenager, wants to pick a fight with you as their father over your rules or guidelines, don't disappoint him. Don't try to avoid the fight. You see, some days you will be their friend, but every day you're their father. And when they are no longer under your direct responsibility, don't ever let them forget your instruction and the guidelines that you taught them about what is right and wrong, what is acceptable behavior, speech, relationships that are the foundation for your home. They then establish their own home. But never let them forget the reference point, the foundation that you provided for them. You see, it's not by accident. I remember once with one of my sons <laughs> saying to him in the heat of the moment, you know, right now, I'm sure... If we would be honest with one another, you probably are saying, I didn't pick you to be my father. You know, if only so-and-so was my father. And if I was honest right 
with you right now, my son, I was saying, I didn't pick you to be my son. But that was not haphazard. <laughs> we didn't choose each other. God Almighty chose that. And you know what? We're going to make the best of it. We're going to seek to fulfill his plan for our lives. Now, of course, there are some fathers. There's always a temptation to take that role as protector to an extreme. To see that responsibility and as a license to control, to dominate, to manipulate, even to emotionally abuse children. There was an article some time ago in the Wall Street Journal that made a statement It's kind of hard to forget. And I quote, the statement was, people want to be lightly governed by a strong government. Think about that. You say, I think that is the key to parenting, especially older children, young adults, teenage and up. We fathers must be strong, but we must learn to govern lightly outside the walls of our direct responsibility. We must learn to govern with gentleness and with grace. We need to be like the cop on the street corner that's tough enough to handle the thug, but also is gentle enough to scoop up the child that's lost and give them comfort and lead them home. We need to be able to be that kind of father. We need fathers with a lot of spiritual muscle and yet the wisdom of restraint. Now, perhaps our adult children want to be lightly governed by strong fathers because that's how God relates to us, right? How powerful is God? Omnipotent. And yet, how does he govern your and my life? The omnipotent rule of the universe is also the one who invites us tenderly. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So there's four words I want us fathers to remember this morning, and for the rest of you as well. What's a father to do? Make God number one priority for himself and his family. Second, he's to provide. And that's not just physical, but spiritually as well. He needs to extend and model pardon, forgiveness. And he needs to provide protection. Well, to children this morning and wrapping this up, and, and that's all of us, right? We're all have been children. Every earthly father falls short in some way, shape, or manner of this high calling. Maybe this morning you feel like you have or you have had a father that fell way short, didn't even come close to providing for you, didn't even come close to protecting you, didn't even come close to providing a, an environment of pardon and forgiveness. But this morning, you need to know that you have a heavenly father who wants to be for you all that your earthly father was not. 
And to those of us who are fathers this morning, let's keep in mind these four things that we're striving for in our parenting. Priority, provision, pardon, and protection. That's what it means when we say, Father. It's not rocket science, but it's hard work. It's hard work. But with God as our Father, any father can do it. Okay? With God as our Father. And the best thing about this is, if we do these things, even in our imperfection, even with our flaws as fathers, even with our mistakes and our sins, we can be a reflection of our children's perfect heavenly father. And they then will have a picture of what it means to say of God, my father. Let's pray. Father, how welcoming it is for us to address you with that term. You have demonstrated to us what it means. We are so provided for. We are so pardoned. We are so protected because you are our Father. And this day as we acknowledge and reflect on our earthly fathers. And as fathers, we reflect on our responsibility to reflect your fatherhood to our children. May the truth of your word grip our hearts. May we refocus, reset as is necessary. May your spirit empower us that our children will rise up and acknowledge what it means for God to be their father because of what they've experienced from our fathering. Empower us, Father. Encourage us, forgive us when we fail. We ask for you to be honored by our lives as fathers. For it's in Christ's name we pray.